So I've been asked to speak uh, on the fruit of the spirit that in English translation is called self-control. And before I do that, there are many ways to look at this topic. Uh, so we could turn this into a how to lose weight and achieve your fitness goal session. Um, but I have no interest in that whatsoever. Okay. So I want to talk initially about how Paul sees self-control and the other fruit of the Spirit in the context of his letter to the Galatians. Uh, I'll then move to one of the more obvious examples of self-control, uh, which is the taming of the tongue, with a specific example from my own experience. And finally, I want to go out with how self-control is not a one-person activity, but is related to the church community. Okay? So let's go to Galatians. Um, Paul is addressing the strife caused in the Galatian church by other apostles who have come with another gospel that Paul says is no gospel at all. The consequences of the so-called gospel being carried out have by the time of Paul's letter separated those who followed the commonly observed Jewish regulations from those who did not. It's caused division in the body of Christ, like a form of apartheid, with believers separated at mealtimes because some would think others unclean. Given the importance of the communion meal, what effect do you think that would have had uh, in that community? So it would have elevated and inflicted a form of Christian Phariseeism uh, on the Galatian church. And the zeal with which these apostles burned was the very sort that Paul had been consumed with in his persecution of the church. So now we come to the fruit of the Spirit, and these fruits are in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, but I'll, I'll read on through to verse 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, N.T. Wright, a very smart man, says regarding verses 23 and 26, Once more, then, the point he is making here is not simply that he wants them to live uh, in the way the Spirit directs them. Well, sorry that he wants them to live by the promptings of the Spirit, though of course he does. The underlying point is that if they live in the way the Spirit directs them to, the Jewish law will have no condemnation for them, and there will be no need for the disruptive effects setting one church member against another, which the false teaching has brought about. So that's the context. Now, in the specific element of self-control that I want to go over, it is about the tongue and what we choose to say, and more importantly, what we choose not to say. James, my favourite biblical author, says the tongue is like a small rudder, guiding a large ship, able to direct that ship where the will of the pilot directs. But then he also refers to it as a restless evil, full of deadly poison. In James chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here we see two sources being compared again. Fig trees should not produce olives. Salt ponds will not yield fresh water. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34 to 40, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the treasures, out of the evil, evil treasures, brings forth evil things. Now, I used to flat in Newtown and Wellington uh, with a couple of other guys, and we were all believers. And one of my flatmates was actually an Anglican priest who served at the local church down the road. And I just bought a, a brand new Sony TV, which as people who know me well know that I can go on and on <laughs> about that sort of stuff. Um, the TV I got, I got it with the idea of sharing it with my flatmates in the living room area. And it was so much better than the ancient box that it replaced. Uh, I would come home after a hard day at the office and pop myself down in front of the TV and just de-stress watching cat videos and documentaries on ancient Sumerian literature. But anyway, some other random stuff. Now, one of my flatmates liked using the dining table, uh, which he owned, to paint on. And it was a relatively small flat. So that table was in the same general space as the TV. Uh, now, he enjoyed being able to paint away with relative silence with the window light behind him and just a beautiful view of the garden there as well. And for him also, it was, a, uh, it was also a mental health thing as well. Now, I was in the habit of asking people whether it was okay before I sat down and watched anyways. So, yes, I did pay rent in the place, but it was a common space. So that's what I did. Um, one day, he... Um, One day he, he basically strongly expressed that he really didn't like me hogging the space. Now, this guy is a big guy and he's not afraid to express an opinion or defend himself. He's actually a former journalist, right? So, now, me feeling justified and having done the right thing with politely asking in the first place, I was pretty upset. In fact, I was pretty angry, actually. Um, so I felt genuinely angry. I, I felt I'd done the right thing. Why was he causing this tension? Couldn't he just go somewhere else? Why should I have to move? Okay? Now, before I could say something that I regretted, I remembered James's comment on the tongue being a small spark that sets alight a great fire. I also remembered two important things. One, this guy's my brother. He's my brother, and he's my family. And two, does he have a point? <laughs> the sermons that Lloyd and others had preached to me on holding the tongue came back, flooded back to me. The patience that others had shown to me when I was being a complete take uh, came back to me as well. So I said to him that we needed to have a flat meeting to sort it out. The earliest we could all meet was the following night, so we put it off until then. 
I was still angry, but I knew that I needed to pray about it, so I prayed for God to bring a resolution which was just and which we both felt that we'd been heard. And that was a totally spirit-filled prayer. So the following night came and we all gathered in the living room and I said that we should start with a brief prayer. So we did a brief, God, please sit in on this kind of prayer. And I then led off into describing what happened the night before and specifically putting my flatmate's viewpoint in as good a light as possible to our other flatmate as well. Um, I then described how I felt about the whole thing. And then I asked the flatmate that I had the issue with um, whether I had represented that fairly, um, what, he would, what he had said. Now, at this stage, we really all felt the peace of God on the whole situation. Um, it felt actually kind of tangible. And I felt a lot of that was because of the way we'd, we'd gone around things. Um, so we managed to work out an arrangement which suited us both. Both of us felt like we'd been listened to. And I felt that I had a better brother at the end of it. Now that was a situation when our combined time in the church as believers, our acceptance of what that meant in our relationships with each other, uh, our respect for each other and our love for each other made all the difference. And all of you have had experiences where that did not happen and I most certainly have also had that same experience. Um, but what I've found is my ability to hold my tongue continues to get me out of a world of trouble and continues to bring resolution and closer bonds with people that I care about. And I know I did not get that on my own. But even my desire to make that change comes from the church family that I've been a part of for decades. When you exhibit self-control, you are expressing what Jesus put into you. And almost certainly that's been put into you through the actions and training and influence of other believers. And this church has a lot of children in it, right? And when you show self-control in your dealings with them or with each other, you're providing them with a legacy of godliness that they will take with them wherever they go. Now, the Christian life is both taught and caught. And you as the church, you create an environment where it becomes easier to say no to evil and to do the right thing. And that environment is built on the continued reminders of the love that God has for us, shown through us as people. Whenever you invite someone into your home for dinner, whenever you offer to take someone to some place that they need to be, whenever you help to fix someone's car, when you spend time with someone who needs it, when you give a timely, thoughtful gift to someone, when you recognise the work of others and lift them up, when you choose not to hold a grudge and instead choose to make things right with another person, whenever women show respect to their husbands and whenever men help around the house and listen to their wives, all of this is showing love and all of this is building the kingdom of God. All of this is influencing others and creating a place where others want to come. So you have no idea of the power that you provide when you do simple things with love. So I'm going to read now from Acts 2, uh, verse 42 to 47. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and joy. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this is where I believe we are headed. I really do believe that. I also believe that we should not despise the day of small beginnings or be beholden to a perfectionist vision of what the church should look like. Um, but we can certainly have a vision, be filled with hope and faith, and continue to express and receive love to those God has already put around us.